This is the third week in our series on fundamentals, which are those beliefs or doctrines that make up our faith. So far, we've considered the inspiration of Scripture, and we've talked about the one true God. Particularly last week, we talked about the Trinity and the implications of the Trinity in our lives and for our faith. We talked about how God is one God in three persons. But this week, we're going to study the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Particularly, we're going to study the nature of Jesus. You see, Christians believe something very specific about the nature of Christ, very important to our theology, to our doctrine, and to our practice, and that is that Jesus Christ is fully human and that he is also fully God, 100% God and 100% man. Our statement of faith implies Jesus' humanity, and it emphasizes Jesus' divinity, probably because in our time, it is more frequently the divinity of Christ that is called into question than it is his humanity. In fact, there are many religious groups who believe in Jesus as a man, but they don't mean the same thing we do when we say that we believe in Jesus. For instance, Muslims believe in Jesus, that he was a great prophet, and that he came from God, but certainly not that he is God incarnate, the word of God made flesh. Jehovah's Witnesses claim to be a Christian group, but they deny the divinity of Jesus, saying that he is a created being like angels or like we are. Granted, in their belief, Jesus is like a step above these beings, but he is nevertheless a created being, not God, And we know that many, many, even atheists, believe in Jesus as such. They don't deny that there was a man named Jesus who lived in the first century. They won't even deny that he was crucified, but they deny that he was resurrected. They deny that he was God in the flesh. So what we want to do is make sure that we understand who Jesus is, what his nature is, and that he is indeed both God and man. We put it this way, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. The scriptures declare his virgin birth, his sinless life, his miracles, his substitutionary work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his exaltation to the right hand of God. But how is it that Jesus can be 100% God and 100% man? Like the Trinity, this is another mystery of the faith. And like the Trinity, it may be a paradox but it's not contradictory. We believe that Jesus is one person who has two natures united in him, not mixed and not separated, united. Those natures, the nature of God and the nature of humanity, are united in Jesus, but they're not confused in him. Jesus did not become some kind of new being, a a third kind of thing, a mixture of God and man. Neither did God change into a man. Bible teacher Donald Blesch states this concept like this. He says, one must be careful not to confuse the incarnation with metamorphosis. God did not change into a man as in Greek mythology. Instead, the Son of God adopted human nature and united it with his divine nature in the unity of one person. As the Athanasian Creed expresses it, he is one not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking of the manhood into God. Christ in his incarnation did not cease to be God, but he chose to meet us on our level in the garb of human flesh. Now, I can understand if, after all of this, you're thinking to yourself, this is all a bit too technical and boring and uninteresting, 
but I disagree with you about that. I don't think it is. We're quickly approaching Christmas. The decorations are out. You've seen them in Costco already. You've seen them in your favorite shopping places, even in the grocery stores. They have Christmas decorations pretty soon. They'll sell all of the candy they've got on their shelves right now, and they'll replace it with the Christmas candy, and it will be all over the place. Some of you have already picked out your Christmas trees. Has anybody already set up their Christmas tree? We have a few. We have a few, right? Christmas is upon us. Before you know it, we're going to be singing, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We're going to be doing that. And there are a lot of things to love about Christmas. But the whole reason we bother celebrating Christmas is because of the doctrine I'm talking to you about this morning. We call Christ's birth the incarnation, which means in the flesh. It's a word that describes that the Son of God became human when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and was then born in Bethlehem. At Christmas, we remember the ordinary surroundings of Jesus' birth. He wasn't born in a palace or a mansion. He was laid in a manger. And yet, angels filled the sky at his birth. They appeared to ordinary, simple shepherds. And yet they told of a great salvation that God was bringing. Christmas is wonderful, particularly because we remember the stark contrast between the glory of the king, the Messiah, coming into the world and the way that he arrived. Christmas is one big celebration of the doctrine of Christ's nature. And so whether you realize it or not, you might say, well, this is boring, Pastor Stephen. And I would simply say, and you're going to be celebrating it for the next two months. And so if you're bored today, Christmas is going to be a long season for you. Because Christmas is all about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to help you to realize what that is and hopefully increase your wonder at what Christ has done. In fact, we sang a song a little bit earlier this morning where we all joined in in asking the Lord to deepen our understanding of what he's done for us, to deepen our understanding of his love. That's what I hope to do today as the Holy Spirit illuminates his word to our hearts and our lives. John Calvin eloquently put the importance of this doctrine this way when he wrote, no common thing it was that the mediator was to accomplish to make children of God out of the children of men out of heirs of Gehenna, or hell, to make heirs of the heavenly kingdom. Who could, have, who could have done this had not the Son of God become the Son of Man, and had not so taken what was ours as to impart what was his to us, and to make what was his by nature ours by grace? Because Jesus is fully man and fully God, he has lifted our nature out of sin and wrath, and he has made us brothers and sisters, heirs of God's eternal kingdom. Because he is God and man, he is the perfect mediator and the only one who could bring men and women back to God. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23 says, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because he's fully God and fully man, Jesus is our mediator. He is our great high priest. 
the perfect priest, the only one who could go between us and God and who could raise us up to what God intended us to be. And because we have such a priest, we also have confidence before God. We have a steadfast hope that God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus and that Jesus is a Savior who is sufficient to meet every one of our needs and to save us. You should have steadfast hope because of your great high priest. You should have steadfast hope in your mediator, Jesus Christ. I want to show you why this morning. That Jesus was a real human being can't be doubted based on Scripture. When we say that Jesus is God incarnate, we don't mean simply that God took a body, like a hermit crab has to look for a new shell or something like that. Like God filled a human shell. We don't mean that. Instead, we affirm that Jesus took on a full human nature, spirit and body. He not only had a body, but he experienced life as a human being and had human thought and human emotion. The scripture describes his physical birth and tells us that just like our children, he grew and matured. It says in the Gospel of Luke, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him, Luke 2.40. Jesus became hungry and he became Thirsty like we do. Matthew 4 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He knew distress. He knew sorrow and grief. Mark 14 says, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch. He got angry. He was tempted. He got tired and he needed to rest. He felt the sting of betrayal. He knew the agony of loneliness. He was so human that he did the thing that no human in the history of the world has been able to avoid. He died. He died for us. That's how human he was. They say that death and taxes are the two sure things. There are people who evade their taxes. But so far, there's not anybody who evades death. But, and so Jesus was so like us that he didn't evade death either, but he died. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18 beautifully relates his humanity and his nearness to us when he became flesh. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What I want you to be clear on this morning is that you can rely on Jesus' mercy. You can rely on his mercy because he is your great high priest. You can have confidence in him and you can rely on his mercy. You might be under the impression that God is somewhere far off. Perhaps you're suffering right now. And that suffering has caused you to think that God must not be interested in you. If he is interested in you, then why would he allow you to suffer like you are? I can't answer that question satisfactorily. I mean... I could probably give some kind of apologetic or philosophical thoughts on why God allows suffering, why he allows suffering in individual lives. But in likelihood, if you're going through the mental and emotional anguish of suffering, those answers won't satisfy you in your suffering right now. 
I know that because I've gone through suffering and I'm going through suffering. I have situations in my own life where I've asked God, why would you allow this? How does it make sense for, for this to be happening right now? I know some of the philosophical possibly, possibly possibilities for why God would allow these things, but none of them are satisfying when I put them up to the fact that my mom has cancer or that my best friend died, and they probably aren't going to satisfy your curiosities and your emotional pain either. So maybe you've resigned yourself to the idea that God is distant. He doesn't care about what's going on. And while the fact that Jesus is really human may not answer your questions, I have found that understanding Jesus as my mediator, that he really is human, gives comfort and peace that answers don't. I may not be able to say, here is the reason why you have to suffer. Here is why God is allowing this pain in your life. But I can say to you this morning with confidence that God is not distant from your suffering. He's nearer than you think. He's nearer than you know. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, and he wasn't protected from our suffering. And he wasn't protected from temptation. He was right in the middle of that mess that we've created on earth. And he was there on purpose. He did it so that he could save us. You feel rejected. Jesus is there with you. You feel abandoned. Jesus knows what that feels like. You feel lonely and distressed. You're in pain. Your heart was broken. You lost a loved one. Jesus knows. And he doesn't just know because of the attribute of God we talked about last week, which is important, that God is omniscient. God knows all things. But Jesus doesn't just know these things in the sense that he looks down and sees that they're happening. No, 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 no. He knows them because he's gone through them and because he's going through them with you. He is human and he enters into our sufferings. He knows that you are in the thick of this and he's in the thick of it with you. Maybe you're going through temptation and you think that God is indifferent. It feels so difficult. You don't, you don't think you can overcome. Your temptation feels like suffering and mental anguish because you don't want to give in, but you don't see a way out of it. You don't know how you're going to overcome that temptation. You don't know how to be free. You know the right thing to do, but you don't feel that you have the strength to actually do it. And you're ashamed. And you think that God can't possibly be merciful. After all, why should he help you when you've failed so miserably? And how could he help you? How can he possibly know what it is to be tempted like you are so that he can actually provide real, on the ground, moment by moment kind of help? He doesn't know what it's like to face those kind of temptations, does he? He does. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Jesus was tempted in every way that you are. Now you might say, yeah, but 
his wasn't as bad because he never sinned. So he can't know how hard my temptations really are. Not so. Not so at all. Think about it like this. You're tempted. And you give in to that temptation. And so you never know the full force of that temptation. Before it reaches its maximum, you give in to the temptation and you sin. You give in before it is most intense. But Jesus was tempted with the same kind of temptations you are and never gave in. He knows every ounce of strength that temptation has because he didn't give in. He endured it and then passed the test. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. I need a volunteer to help with this illustration. A strapping young man would be best if I can have a volunteer. Anybody like that? Do we have any strapping young men who are willing to help me for just a moment this morning? Believe me, it won't be hard. I promise I will not embarrass you. George will be our strapping young man. Come on up, George. Let's give George a big round of applause. We're going to imagine today, George, that this is not a coat, but these are muscles, okay? So can you flex your muscles? Okay. Now, I was going to bring a, a big weight up here, but I had to have brought one that was so big I couldn't pick it up in order for the illustration to work. So I'm going to need you all to use your imagination with me for a moment, okay? So imagine that uh, George and I, we're working out. All right, and there's a weight in front of us. And uh, imagine we're going to do um, we're going to do overhead presses or, or uh, deadlifts or something. And so we've got weights on a barbell, and I bend down to pick up that barbell, and I go like this, right? And it budges, but I never get it up off the ground. And then George comes over, he sees me, and he laughs. Go ahead, George, you can laugh. And you you reach down. Now, George, you pick up the weight and you pull it up and you hoist it overhead. Okay. That was good. Good form, George. A round of applause for George. No, keep it up there, George. Don't let it go. Don't drop. George, you're really strong. Just hold it there for a minute, okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Who knows the full weight of that barbell, me or George? George knows the full weight of it. Why? Because he failed or because he succeeded? He knows the full weight because he succeeded. I only know part of it because I tried and failed. He knows the full thing because he's still holding it over his head. He's felt the pressure of all of that weight on his body, hasn't he? Because George is really strong. And so he knows the full weight. Thanks, George. You can put it down now. Oh, you dropped it. Oh, boy. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. And so it is, so it is with temptation. We might say, well, Jesus never sinned, so he doesn't know the full weight of temptation. Actually, the opposite is true. Because we sin, we don't know the full weight. We give in before we experience it. But Jesus has lifted the weight over his head. He has conquered temptation. And so he's able to help you because he's able to teach you what it is to succeed against temptation in your own life. No, the full power of Satan has been emptied on him in an effort to corrupt him, but he didn't give in. And so he tasted the full force of that, and he is more than qualified, and he's better able to help you than anybody else could. He knows your weaknesses, and he's tasted your weakness. He is a merciful and a faithful high priest. Don't give up on Jesus because you're in pain. Don't give up on confidence in Jesus because you fear that I can't overcome temptation. Don't give up on Jesus because you can't seem to answer all of life's why questions. Instead, do this. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you're feeling tempted and you don't know you have the, if you have the strength, when you feel the weakness of your own flesh and the pain of your own life and the why questions surface and circulate in your heart and your mind and especially in your emotions and your mind doesn't have the answers for why, draw near to Jesus with confidence. You may not know why you're suffering. Your emotions may feel overwhelming, but you have a companion in your suffering who understands your weakness. He gives mercy to those who lack strength to overcome temptation. He gives grace to those who are walking in times of pain. He provides comfort in the knowledge that God is not distant but is near. He is the reassurance of God's love and he is our confidence in God's good promises of forgiveness and healing and eternal life. And so when you suffer, that's not the time to let go of Christ as if he has failed you. It is the time to cling to Jesus because he is our merciful and our faithful high priest. You can rely on his mercy. You should have steadfast hope because of your great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can rely on his mercy because he willingly became human so that he can sympathize with your weakness and help you in your time of need. But... Though he can sympathize, he's still 100% God. He didn't give up divinity when he became a man. And in his divine nature, he retains all of the attributes of God, just as prior to becoming human. And this is really good news. If Jesus was not human, we couldn't be confident that he understands, that he's near, and that he is merciful Neither could we be sure that he paid the penalty of our sins through his death. But Jesus was, but if Jesus was not God and just man, then we could not be sure that his work would be effective for us. That is, that he accomplished what he said he came to accomplish. That he can apply it to all people and that he is able to fulfill all of God's promises. Neither could we be sure that we can be forgiven since it is God who has been wronged by our sin, if God is going to forgive us, then he must be the one who pays the penalty for our sin. He did that through Jesus. So you can have confidence in his effectiveness. Now I know that the word effective may not be the most poetic sounding word, but I couldn't think of a better word to describe what I want to communicate about Jesus' life his suffering for us, his death in our place, his resurrection, and his ascension, all accomplishing what is necessary for our salvation, not just because he's human, but because he is God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as with his humanity, the scriptures are abundantly clear that Jesus is God. While he was born as a human, the Son of God was never created. As John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Gospels declare that he was born of a virgin, indicating that while he is a man, he is not just a man, and affirming his sinless nature. Jesus knew that he was God. He received worship from people, and he was called Lord. One of my favorite passages that proves the deity of Christ is Romans 10.9. It says this, we quote it all the time. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, the title, Lord, 
could be applied to lesser things than God. It could be applied to uh, a master or to someone who was in charge or had some kind of authority. But it was also used by the Jews to translate God's name into Greek from the Old Testament. It was used to translate the word Yahweh, as we might put it, or we might pronounce it. And we know that that's how Paul was using it in Romans 10.9, because in verse 13, he goes on to quote from Joel chapter 2.32. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Joel chapter 2.32, the word that the prophet Joel used when he says, Lord is the word Yahweh. And so what Paul is saying in Romans 10.9 is that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. If you believe this truth, if you believe that the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He is the Lord God. Now hopefully you understand that it's important that Jesus is God, but why is it important for you to remember this, and how does that contribute to your steadfast hope in Christ as your great high priest? Did anybody ever have a, a bossy older sibling or like a cousin growing up? Anybody have that experience? My son's raising his hand. Uh-oh. Anybody have a bossy older? Come on, more than that. You've experienced somebody bossy in your life, right? If you're anything like me, you took great pleasure in reminding those bossy cousins that they had no real authority over you. When we got together for Christmas, my family... Um, would come together at my grandma and grandpa's house, and they had a basement. We, the kids would go down the basement to play, and a couple of my older cousins always wanted to play school. And I would agree for the first 15 seconds. And then I became class clown. And I would make jokes, and I would make fun of the teacher, because I realized I would do all kinds of things that if I were in a real school classroom, I never would have dared to do. Why? Because I realized these people have no authority. They can't do anything. And I took great joy in watching them make threats that they could not follow through on. They would threaten all kinds of punishments that they had no authority whatsoever to, to meet out upon me. And I enjoyed that. I would laugh at their frustration because I recognized they had no authority. Our confidence in the effectiveness of our salvation rests in Jesus' authority, his divinity, his ability to actually do what he said he would do. If Jesus is not God, then he can make as many claims as he wants to about the forgiveness of sins. He can tell parables until he's blue in the face. He could even suffer and die. But he has no authority to forgive our sins and raise us out of our death and separation from God if he's not God himself. But the good news is, Jesus is Lord. He can deal with our sins. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 announces, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, which is the position of authority, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Because Jesus is God, when he made the sacrifice for our sins by dying on the cross, it fully and completely met the demands of God against sinners. 
Every penalty was paid with a single sacrifice. Every sin erased through one offering. And since Jesus is God, all your sin before he went to the cross was taken care of. And because Jesus is God, he could willingly bear the penalty of your sin against him. And because Jesus is God, he has the right to forgive you and to make you a child of God. Christian, listen for a moment. There is no sin for which the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not sufficient, because he is Lord. Are you burdened with some sin of your past? Are you weighed down by the shame and pain of what you were before you knew Christ? Do you wonder if God can really forgive what you've done? The lives and progress in faith of many believers have been stifled and hampered because they wondered if God can really forgive them. Maybe that's what you're thinking today. You believe that God forgives. You even believe he forgives others. But you have a hard time believing that he has and can forgive you. Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ knew your sin before he went to the cross. And then... He carried your sin to the cross so that you might be forgiven by his grace and by his mercy because he is Lord. Will you receive that forgiveness today? Stop letting the enemy's voice hinder your progress in the faith. Jesus has paid it all and he could do it because he is Lord. Have confidence in that. And know this as well. Because Jesus is Lord, he not only forgives our sins, but he lifts us to be what God intended us to be. Recall the quote we read from John Calvin earlier. He said, who could have done this had not the Son of God become the Son of Man and had not so taken what was ours as to impart what was his to us and to make what was his by nature ours by grace. That is what rightly belongs to Jesus. He's given to us because of his grace. The Lord has made what was his ours. Christ not only descended to join us in our humanity, he lifts us up with him to glory. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 puts it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. Your life is hidden in him. Seek the things that are above and set your mind there. The fact that Jesus is Lord means not only that you're forgiven, but that you also have a new life in him. He is effective not only to forgive, but to bring you, to lift you up to the Father, to take what was his by nature and make it yours by his grace. He has the authority, because you are in him, to seat you in heavenly places, because you're in him, and to sanctify your life there, to be the man or the woman that God intended you to be. If you're anything like me, you know your weakness all too well, and you wonder whether you have the strength to serve God as you should. You question yourself. 
You wonder about your commitment. You wonder if you can really grow. You wonder if you can really become like Christ in your character and in your faith. And in your own power, the truth is, you will never do it. You can't hope to succeed. This is why the self-help methods of our culture are such a hindrance to so many people's faith. When they get brought into our belief as Christians, what they end up doing is causing us to think that we will, by our own strength, through our own efforts, be pleasing to God. And they take us, they remove us from the rest that God has provided for us by faith in Jesus. And instead, they put us on the hamster wheel of constantly trying in our own efforts to be what God intended. But that is decisively not the gospel. For the gospel is not that you are seated in heavenly places through your efforts and good works. The gospel is that you are seated in Christ in heavenly places because he has taken what by nature belongs to him as Lord and he has made it to you, yours by his grace, not by your efforts, by his grace. This does not imply that we should not as believers live lives of surrender, but it means that we should not get caught up in worldly thinking that it is my efforts that produce growth in Christ, but that it is Jesus' efforts that produce growth in Christ. It is faith that produces growth in him. And if all you had was a human friend who could sympathize with your weakness, what you'd have there is a really great pity party but you wouldn't be able to receive forgiveness or freedom or reconciliation with God, but you do not have a merely human friend. You do have a friend who is human, but you also have a friend who not only being 100% human is 100% God, and so he does not sit with you in a pity party. He lifts you up out of the miry clay and he establishes you in heaven with the Father, that your feet might be secure and stable. You have a friend in Christ who is not only human so that he understands you, but he is divine so that he can effect your salvation. He isn't playing at forgiveness like my cousins played at being teacher. He can give you forgiveness for he is Lord. He isn't playing at sanctification as my cousins tried to get me to sit still, and I refused, he can sanctify you because he's taken what is his by nature and made it yours by grace. He has the authority to make it happen. Don't put your faith in yourself. Put it in him, and do not concede to a life where you are broken and stuck in your faith. Know that he forgives. Know that he heals. Understand that he restores, that he sanctifies, and he does it because he has all authority to do it because he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You should have confidence in that great high priest that God has provided for us because we can rely on his mercy and you can have confidence in his effectiveness. I'm going to ask if George would come back up and prepare to play the keys and I want to ask you to respond this morning to this word from God. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20 teaches us this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain 
where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I want to ask you today that you would live in that hope. I want to challenge you today to a hope that propels us forward in the knowledge that Jesus is Lord. Are you stuck in your spiritual walk? Know that Jesus is Lord. Are you caught in a cycle of shame and doubt? Know that he is a merciful and faithful high priest. Are you wondering if you can actually overcome temptation? Remember that he shared your suffering in temptation and that he also will give you the strength to overcome it. And remember this, he's Lord. And that title should remind us that he is not a religious icon to be admired on Sundays and ignored the rest of the time. He's not merely a symbol. He is Lord, and that means he has authority to forgive sins and affect our salvation. It also means that he deserves to be obeyed. If he has affected our salvation, purchased us with his blood, provided everything that we need for forgiveness, lifted us into heavenly places where we are seated with him, then surely he deserves our faithfulness and obedience. Jesus is Lord. So as you go through the course of the next couple of months and you're putting up decorations and you're setting out your Christmas tree and you're looking at nativity sets and you come to the singing Christmas tree and you're out in, in the shopping malls and you're hearing Christmas music and nobody even knows what they're listening to, be reminded that Jesus is Lord. And that means for you that he is both a friend who is nearer than you can understand and also God, who is more powerful than you can hope to comprehend, and that because he is both of those things, he is able to help you in your time of need, and he lifts you out of what you were, and he makes you what you should be in the Father. I'm going to ask if you close your eyes for just a moment. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, the good news has been proclaimed to you this morning, and it is simply this, that though you have rebelled against God and chosen to walk your own way, though you have been stuck in your own sin, unable to produce what you'd like to out of your own life, struggling over and over, time and time again, to try to become something, to make yourself something, but always falling short, nevertheless, God by his mercy desires to redeem you. He created you to know him, to love him, and to be in a relationship with him, but that relationship has been broken because you have chosen to go your own way, but God in his infinite mercy sent his son Jesus Christ, who, being fully God and fully human, not only identifies with your weakness and your sin, and not only paid the penalty for your sin, but has every right now to say that if your faith is in him, that you are forgiven, and that you are safe that your life is restored to what God intended it to be. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus today and you're stuck in your sin, you want to know his freedom. You want to know his forgiveness because you understand. Maybe you felt the burden of your own sin recently. Maybe you felt the conviction, a sense of heaviness in your life over the way your life is going, the decisions that you've made. Maybe you're facing the consequences of your sin and, and you felt a sense of heaviness in your life recently. That's the Holy Spirit trying to convince you that you need to turn to the Lord. You need to turn to God. And I want to ask you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to, to do a series of works. I'm asking you to do this to recognize the truth of what you've heard today, that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead.
Because after Jesus had made the sacrifice for your sins by dying on the cross, on the third day he was raised so that you might know that he is able to forgive and to restore. You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus today and you want to begin that. You want to know the forgiveness of your sins. You want to know what it is to be free in Jesus. I'm going to ask that you do this simple thing so that I can recognize and pray with you. If there's anybody like that, would you just lift up your hand quickly? and say, through that raising of your hand, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is Lord, and I believe that God raised him from the dead, and today I want to be saved by him. Is there anybody like that? You don't have the relationship with Jesus by faith. You've never experienced that forgiveness, that love, and you want to today. Is there anybody like that? I'm gonna wait for just a moment. If you've joined us online and you're watching there and you want to respond, we'd love to pray with you. Just text the word HOPE to 413-360-61. We'll send you a response and we'd love to connect and pray with you, help you to understand Christ in your life as well. Is there anybody here present that wants to commit their life to Christ this morning? Anybody that needs that forgiveness, that freedom? This morning, I want to give believers an opportunity to respond as well, so keep your heads bowed for just a moment longer if you would. This morning, we, we sang that we would, we would know more deeply God's love for us understand what he's done for us in a fuller sense. Sometimes I think that one of the hindrances to our progress in faith is that we are afraid that other people will think that we've not yet arrived, that we're less than we perceive ourselves to be. So we present a very public Christian persona in which we're afraid to even express desire for God for fear that the expression of desire for the Lord and his work would also indicate to somebody else who's watching that somehow we didn't desire him before or that we weren't good enough before. I don't want to ask you this morning, even as we were singing, I just, I felt the Lord impress on my heart that sometimes we get stuck as Christians because we're more concerned about what other people think of us if we respond in hunger before God than we are about actually expressing our hunger and desire for him. This morning, if you're in a place where you're stuck in, in some sin and temptation is gripping your life and you can't seem to get out of it, in just a moment I want to invite you to come forward and seek the Lord. It is not a call of shame. It is a call of freedom. If you're, if you're in a place where you're struggling to, to believe that God forgives you, that your past is cleansed, that, that you can know his love and his forgiveness by his grace and not by your good works. If you're struggling to receive the, the scriptural, uh, spiritual truth that God loves you and he has forgiven you, I'm going to ask you in a moment to respond and, and just seek the Lord for his love and ask him to open your heart to his love by faith more this morning. And that is not a call of shame. It is a call, again, for freedom and to know the forgiveness of God. If you're struggling and, and you're in the midst of pain right now, and you're asking all of those why questions we talked about earlier, why would God allow this, and why would, he, why would he let these things happen in my life, and you just need to know this morning that there is someone who's nearer than you could hope to know, who's nearer than the, nearer, the nearest friend you have on earth, who has experienced your trials, your suffering, your pain, who's with you in the middle of them and who will help lift you out of them. If you need to know that Jesus is with you, you need to sense
confidence, his presence. You need to know that he's sticking near to you in your pain. And this morning, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come. And again, that's not a walk of shame as if you're admitting, oh, I'm not spiritual because I didn't feel Jesus. You're simply saying, I'm hungry to know the Lord more. Lord, would you open my heart? Would you open my eyes to know you? If you are here this morning and, and you're simply saying, this morning as I've heard the word of God, the truth about who Jesus is, my heart is simply hungry to know him. And I'm going to ask that you'd come as well. And I'm asking that you come this morning not because coming makes you better something magical or mystical. I'm asking merely because coming gives you an opportunity to respond before you walk out the door and move on to other distractions. That's it. It gives you an opportunity to respond to what God is doing, to set aside or consecrate a moment in time to say, God, I'm responding. Before I move on, I'm responding. And so if you're in any one of those places struggling over the shame of your past and, and wondering if God can really forgive, stuck in temptation and wondering, will Jesus really help me? Is he strong enough to help? Will he come to my aid? Why should he come to my aid? wrestling with why would God allow these things in my life or just saying I'm hungry I want to know the Lord Jesus I want to know his presence it says in the scripture he's near I want to know that he's near I want to experience him in my own heart I want to know his presence in my own daily walk then I'm going to ask you right now without any fanfare would you just get up out of your seat and would you come and would you find a place to begin to seek the Lord don't wait for somebody else to lead the way again this is not the walk of shame this is a walk of you saying I want to know the Lord I'm hungry for him. I want to know his hope and his grace. I want to know his presence. I want to know his power. I want to know his, his love in my life. I want to experience his forgiveness again. I want to know freedom in the Holy Spirit again. If that's you and you fit in any one of those things or you just want to say, I want to seek Jesus this morning, would you come this morning and let's take a few moments and let's seek the Lord together. Let's call out to him and believe that he is able, that he is near. And I'm going to ask our pastors or any prayer partners who are present if you want to come and begin to pray with people you can do that and let's spend a few moments and seek the Lord for the rest of the church if if you want to stay and seek the Lord and pray you are welcome to do that and just spend a few moments in God's presence if you need to go we understand and bless you as well but please go quietly this morning as we have people using the sanctuary to pray you can fellowship in the lobby we would appreciate that and for you who need to go let me just close in a prayer of blessing Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you have ministered to us in such a sufficient and full way. We thank you that you are not only a friend who sticks closer than a brother, but that you are the ultimate friend, that you have not called us merely servants, but friend, and that you have given your life for us, and that that life is sufficient for our forgiveness and freedom. We thank you that you are not merely human, but that you are God and that you can affect our salvation, that you have the power and authority to forgive our sins, to lift us up, and to give us the gifts we need to become men and women of God. We ask, Lord Jesus, that as we reflect on you more deeply, that we would experience your freedom and your forgiveness more fully. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Continue to seek the Lord. If you're here around the altars, feel free to do that. If you need to go, you can feel free. We'll see you again this afternoon for our Fall Family Festival. Go in God's grace and in his peace.